Good evening. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 this evening. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 is our scripture text this evening. First John chapter 5 and just verse 13, this is God's word. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of First John. We thank you that you have given us a book for the purpose that we would know that we have eternal life, that we would have assurance of our salvation. I pray that all of your people would have a strong assurance of their salvation that is rooted in the tests that you have provided in your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. No one can know for sure, some people say, no one can know for sure that you'll go to heaven when you die. But is that really true? Some say it's presumptuous or perhaps even arrogant to say that you are certain that you'll go to heaven when you die. But is it really wrong to have assurance of salvation? What we're going to see this evening, as we have in fact seen many evenings in 1 John, that in point of fact, the book of 1 John was written for that purpose, that you may know that you have eternal life. So in fact, it is not only possible to have assurance of salvation, and it's not, only, it's not wrong to have assurance of salvation, but it's actually a godly thing to have assurance of salvation. So what we have here this evening in verse 13 is the purpose statement and the theme verse of the book of, of, the book of 1 John. So I thought it'd be fitting here as we uh, approach the end of this book to pump the brakes here and, and settle in on this verse just for this evening as it is the theme verse for the whole book. So let's go ahead and, and look at this, this singular verse and what it has in store for us. The first point this evening is the message written. He says, these things I have written to you. Now this is vitally important. First John is a written down fixed standard for all professing Christians to determine whether or not they are saved. It's a written, fixed, unchanging standard to help us have assurance of salvation. This tells us how vital the written word of God really is for us. In fact, without the written word of God, we wouldn't have two crucial things. And those two crucial things are we would not know the gospel, the way of salvation. And secondly, we would not know how to have assurance that we are saved. 
Think about that. So first off, we need the written word of God to have the gospel message declared to us. It was the same Apostle John who wrote, uh, not in this letter, but in his gospel, similar words. He said there's this near the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of, his, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there, John, in his gospel, gives the purpose statement. The gospel of John was written for the sake of communicating the message of salvation to anyone so that they may believe and have eternal life through Jesus. And of course, it's not only the gospel of John, but in fact, really the whole Bible that declares to us the message of the gospel. It reveals to us the person and work of Jesus and how to be saved by him, namely by faith in him. Without the Bible, in other words, without the Bible, we would be lost in our sins. Without God revealing the way of salvation, we would all die in our sins. In oral tradition alone, that is passing down a message uh, uh, only through words, audible words, oral tradition alone is easily corrupted because of failing memories and lack of uh, clarity and communication of the message. But a written message, a written message here, of course, in the Bible, is a fixed message, one that does not change over time. What's written in the text you know, thousands of years ago is what we have today. God's been so gracious to commit the message of the gospel in writing. In fact, the very first paragraph of the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, makes this point. It says, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God so as to leave men inexcusable, listen, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. In other words, the gospel is not out there in general revelation. It's not out there in the stars. It is in the word. They go on to say, Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary." In other words, he's saying he has revealed the way of salvation, but he's putting it in writing so that it would not be corrupted. The, the entirety of the gospel message is revealed to us in Scripture, and as they say, it makes Scripture most necessary for us to have. So the Bible is essential for us to know the way of salvation, but it's also, know, it's also essential for us to know that we are saved, which is John's purpose here in 1 John 5.13. So the, so the Bible reveals how we are to be saved, but it also reveals how we can know that we are saved. It, it reveals how we can have assurance of salvation. Without the written word, without the Bible, we would have no way to know for sure that we are saved. The Bible reveals to us the marks of a true believer, what real conversion looks like, what it really looks like to be born again. In fact, without the marks of a true believer being revealed to us in the written word, 
we would always be grasping superstitiously at things that, that we think would be signs that we're born again, but in fact would just be made up guesswork on our part. In fact, you can see that today. For those who ignore or are ignorant of the biblical teaching about how to have assurance, they just make stuff up, don't they? If you asked a professing Christian you know, on the street, how do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? Well, you get all sorts of different answers, but some of them would be like this. I know I'm, I know I'm saved because why? I prayed a prayer once. I repeated a prayer after somebody. Somebody prayed, and I repeated what they said, so I know I'm saved. Now, is that a biblical mark of salvation? No, it isn't. You can be an unsaved person who's repeated a prayer one time. They may say, well, I was baptized. They derive their assurance of salvation by the fact that at one point in their life, they were baptized. But does being baptized make certain that you are born again? No, it's not a biblical mark of conversion. You can be an unsaved, baptized person. They say, well, I experienced a, a, a feeling of closeness with God. But again, feelings are not sure indicators that one actually knows God. You can be deceived by your feelings. The Bible does not teach that your feelings t uh, are, are an indicator that you're saved. You can be an unsaved person who's had a religious experience. So without the Bible, people will make things up to assure themselves that they're right with God and that they'll go to heaven when they die. But John does not allow that here. God does not allow you to make up stuff that makes you feel good about assurance. Thankfully, he actually gives us solid tests, solid things that we can look at to say, am I saved or am I not saved? He's been so gracious to give us, the, to give us this written word that provides us with that fixed standard of how to have assurance of salvation. In fact, again, that's the point of this entire book of 1 John. It was written so that we would not rely on our guesswork for assurance, but that we would have a clear revelation to aid us to know with certainty that we have eternal life. So he has written these things to us, and thankfully, thank God, it is written down so we have that fixed standard. Second point this evening, a quick point here. He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God who believe in the name of the Son of God. This is a different intended audience than the Gospel of John. Remember, the Gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John is written to everyone, every un un unbeliever in the, that, with the intention that they would become a believer. But 1 John is, is not written to them. It's written to those who already believe in the name of the Son of God. It's written to a church. It's written to professing Christians. The point of the book is for Christians to have assurance of their salvation, which brings up a really important point, maybe a real basic point, but one we have to make sure we get. Believers are supposed to have assurance of their salvation. That's what he's saying here. This is written to believers so that they'd have assurance of their salvation. In other words, lack of assurance in yourself is not something you should tolerate. In fact, Peter said in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about, your, about his calling and choosing you. Make your, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So he's saying you need to be diligent to have assurance of salvation. 
You have to grapple with this issue. You have to gain assurance of salvation. It's something you have to do. And John has written this whole letter for that purpose. That's the central message of the book, how, so that you can know that you have eternal life. So as Christians, we don't have any excuse to lack assurance. He's provided us with an entire book on that subject, 1 John. This is what you've been seeing as we've studied this. 1 John is, is not for the unbeliever in the way that the Gospel of John is. That 1 John is, that, is a logical follow-up to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is meant for people to become believers. 1 John is meant for those believers to have assurance that they are saved. Now, again, I want to say this as well. It is not, uh, it's not the case that, that this book is written simply for certain Christians or for some elite class of Christians, or for some super spiritual mature Christians who have assurance. This is for everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God. So assurance of salvation is not something for those who are super spiritual or whatever. This is for every Christian, for everyone who believes in Jesus as their Savior, to have assurance of their salvation. So every believer should have assurance of their salvation, and every believer can have assurance of their salvation. Now thirdly, and our main point this evening, the last phrase there, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I have written these, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's the main point of the message this evening. It's the main point of this verse. It's the main point of the book of 1 John. This is why he wrote. So I want to break down this phrase so that you may know that you have eternal life. Firstly, look at that, those words, so that. Now, I've already indicated this, but here John is telling us the reason that he wrote the letter. So that believers can have assurance. Secondly, notice that word, no, K-N-O-W, no. The word no there is in the perfect tense, which means this, that the idea is that it's to know and to continue to know. It indicates a completed action with a continuing result, okay? So it's, I, I have known and I continue to know that I am saved. So this assurance is not something that, that happens once and then is over, as a continuing result, nor is it a knowledge that is relegated to the future only. He doesn't say, so that someday you might know this, or someday you'll know this in the future. It's that you will know and continue to know that you have eternal life. This is a knowledge that starts at some point in your Christian life and then continues on in your Christian life, a knowledge that you have eternal life. So when you have assurance of salvation, God wants that assurance to be a lasting assurance. And then thirdly, note this, the key point here, to know what? To know that you have eternal life, that you have eternal life. That's what assurance of salvation is, that I know I have eternal life in Christ. Now, I want you to notice that phrase as well, have eternal life. That's in the present tense, meaning you possess eternal life right now, today. Not something in the future, but something now. And this is, this, there's a huge implication to that. There's just that simple point that you have eternal life now if you're a believer. And this is the implication. Salvation 
is not something that's yet to be determined for you. It's already determined and it can't change. The verse, this verse refutes any notion of some sort of future salvation or future justification by your works, something that you attain to, that maybe someday I'll attain to eternal life. No, he says you have it now. You have it now. There's that false idea that that we're initially saved by faith in Jesus now, but we'll not be finally saved until we meet certain conditions of moral obedience. And then on judgment day, God will look at us and say, okay, let's see how well you did, and we'll see if you made the grade. No, he's saying, you have eternal life now. You have, present tense, eternal life. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ today, then you possess eternal life today. You don't have to wonder when, when, where you'll go when you die. You don't have to wonder, will I get to heaven? Will I make the grade? He says, no, you have it now. You have eternal life now. See, there are two things, two crucial things that can make you know that you have eternal life right now, today. These are essential. These are the two takeaways from this sermon. Okay, these two things you need to get right so that you can have a knowledge that you have eternal life right now. And these are the two things. One, you have to have a right understanding of the gospel. And secondly, you have to have a right understanding of the marks of being born again. So I want to focus in on these points. If you want to have assurance of salvation to know that you have eternal life right now, you have to understand the gospel right, you have to understand the marks of being born again right. Okay, so the right understanding of the gospel first. This is crucial. John has already brought this up really in the beginning of the book. He says in 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He says in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Those are John's summary of the gospel and what Jesus has done to secure salvation for us. So in order for us to know, to have assurance that we possess eternal life, We have to know what Jesus accomplished as the Savior. You have to get this right. If you have a faulty understanding of the gospel, you will not have assurance of salvation. You will not have assurance of possessing eternal life. For example, if you don't understand that Jesus' work on the cross is a finished work, you will not have assurance of salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, you remember he said, it is finished, right? The payment for sin has been paid by him. It's been accomplished by him. It's not something that you finished. It's something that he finished on the cross there. You cannot, and of course, nor do you need to, finish anything that Jesus has started when it comes to salvation. He's finished it himself on our behalf. So when a Christian sins, for example, he doesn't lose his salvation, Because Jesus has taken away all of his sin. He's paid for all his sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He doesn't lose points towards getting into heaven because heaven is not a points-based system. The only way to go to heaven is by trusting in the finished work of Jesus. But get this right. If, If you think that you have to do something in addition to Jesus and what he has done, you cannot have assurance of salvation because you'll never know if you've done enough. The reason the gospel message provides assurance of salvation for the believer 
is because he knows his salvation does not depend upon him at all. It depends completely on the finished work of Jesus. There's nothing more that needs to be done. It's already done. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it all. You don't pay any of it. You see, if you think your works play a role in your salvation, you can't have assurance of salvation because you'll never know if you've made it. You'll never know if you've done enough good. But the fact is, if you think that your works play a role in your salvation, not only can you not have assurance of salvation, you should not have assurance of salvation. Because if you think your works play a, a, a part in you getting into heaven, you haven't believed the gospel yet. The gospel message requires that you believe in Jesus alone and not at all yourself. Trusting in him alone and his work alone and not trusting in your work at all. So if you're trusting in your good works at all, you're trusting in yourself. And if you're trusting in yourself for your salvation, even to some small degree in your mind, you're not believing the gospel. It's either Christ alone or it's all on you. So scripture teaches us stop trusting in yourself. Trust Jesus as the Savior who has finished, who has accomplished salvation. You know, Jesus is called the Savior because he does the saving, not you. So if you don't understand Jesus' work of salvation, that it actually accomplishes salvation, that actually the work is finished by him, you're not going to know that you have eternal life. Because if Jesus didn't accomplish it, eternal life cannot be guaranteed to you. If it depends upon you, it can't be guaranteed for you. But if it depends completely on Jesus and he has accomplished it all, then it can be guaranteed to you. You see, eternal life must be a gift if it's to be guaranteed. That's the fact, that's the point that the Apostle Paul makes in Romans 4.16. He says, For this reason it's by faith, in order that it be, may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants of Abraham, or all the elect. He's saying it's by faith, through grace, so that it's guaranteed. Why does it have to be by grace to be guaranteed? Because if it depends upon you doing something, you can never know that you'll get it. You'll never make it, in fact. But if it's by grace, if it's a gift, if Jesus has done everything and he just gives it to you, he can guarantee it. He's already, he already earned it and he can give it to you for free. It'll be yours. So you can have assurance that you currently possess eternal life and will always possess eternal life because Jesus has purchased eternal life for you by his life, his death and resurrection. There is nothing that can take away eternal life from you if you're a true believer because Jesus has guaranteed it by his finished work. Now, you notice I say a true believer, a true believer. And that brings us to our second important point about how you can know if you have eternal life. And that's the right understanding of the marks of being born again. So first, you have to understand the gospel right. That it's all what Jesus has done. And then you have to see what scripture says about what it looks like to be born again. Many Christians will say, yes, I know that Jesus is the only way of salvation. I know it's his finished work on the cross and not by my works at all. And that's he's completely sufficient to save sinners. But then they'll say, but I don't know if I'm saved. I know that Jesus saved sinners, but I don't know if I personally am saved. How do you know that you are a true believer? 
in Jesus? What are the marks, the evidences of someone who has been born again? That has been the recurring subject of this book of 1 John. And we've seen over and over again three things that John cycles through that he says are marks of a true Christian. Do you remember these? Number one is faith in the true Jesus. Secondly, obedience to God's commands. And thirdly, love for God and for other Christians. Just briefly uh, reviewing these, faith in the true Jesus means that you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture, and you believe in the biblical message of his finished work of salvation that we just discussed a minute ago. John summarizes this in 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's a mark of being born again, belief in the, in the true Jesus. The true Jesus who is truly God, truly man, and one person who died on the cross taking the wrath of God on our behalf so that we would not face the wrath of God for our sins. Who, the Jesus who rose again from the dead in a physical body who defeated sin and Satan and death on our behalf. A true believer then has an orthodox biblical profession of faith in the biblical Jesus. In other words, if you hold to heretical beliefs, that's an indicator that you're not born again. So a, a, a orthodox profession of faith is one mark that the Holy Spirit has made you born again. The second one that John brings out is obedience to God's commands. Obedience to God's commands means that you have a desire to obey God's commands and to be done with your sin. In 1 John 5, 3, he says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, a true Christian does not find the commandments of God to be a burden, to be a drag. In fact, he's, he's burdened by his sin, not burdened by obedience. He's at his happiest when he's obeying God. He's at his saddest when he's disobeying God. He has a new heart, a new attitude towards sin and towards the law of God. He wants to obey God to please him. And thirdly, love for God and love for Christians is that third mark of being born again. Very similar to obeying his commands, but John wants to emphasize that one cannot love God and hate Christians. One cannot love God and hate his adopted children, Christians. John says this, 1 John 4, 20, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So the emphasis is, do you have a fellowship and love for Christians? That's a mark that you are a true Christian. True Christians have fellowship with one another, a love for one another. They give themselves for the benefit of other Christians. So if you have no love for Christians, that's evidence that you're not yet born again. So these are the three biblical texts we've seen many times as we've gone through the book. These are the marks that the Holy Spirit bears in the person that they are a true believer. But what you notice, these things are not one-time events, are they? They're not one-time events. They're not like repeating a prayer or getting baptized or walking an aisle in response to an altar call. They're not like that. These are continuous and lasting changes in a person. You know, a born-again person will at times have a weaker or stronger faith, you know, a, a better obedience or a worse obedience, more love or less love for the brothers. But the born-again person will always have these marks in their lives. Being born again results in lasting change. So our, our assurance of salvation doesn't come from us looking back to some singular point in time in our past. It comes from looking 
Is the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in me now? Am I a changed person now? Has he brought forth these marks of being born again now? Faith, obedience, and love. Are they there in my life today? It doesn't matter if you wrote your name in a Bible 15 years ago. That's not a mark of being born again. The things that John has said here, faith, obedience, and love, those are the evidences of being born again. So, John, so God has written us here in 1 John so that we can know that we're true believers, not by making up our own tests, but by testing ourselves according to these marks that he has revealed. The Holy Spirit always bears these marks of, of true conversion in his people, always. They're always there with a truly born-again person. So when you look at these tests of faith, love, and obedience, and then you compare yourself to them, if you're a true believer, you can see that God indeed has borne these fruits in you. And we, yeah, we know they're not going to be perfect. No true believer bears these fruits perfectly. That's not the test. The test is, are they there? Is this how your life is? Is this who you are now? You can know that you have eternal life by the fact that these fruits are there in your life. Those are evidences that you've been born again. So these are the two issues again. So that you can know that you currently possess eternal life, you have to understand the gospel right. You have to understand that Jesus truly has paid for all your sins, and there's nothing more that needs to be done, nothing more you can do. And secondly, you have to understand, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit makes somebody born again? Do I look like that? Do I bear the fruits of being born again? It really is that simple to look at those things. Do I understand the gospel? Do I understand what it looks like when somebody is born again? If I, so I can test myself to see if I'm born again. Our assurance does not come from a mystical experience. It does not come from an emotional decision we made in the church service. It doesn't come from anything else. Our assurance comes from the fact that Jesus has accomplished salvation and that we can see what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives to make us new. That's why John wrote the book. That's the things he emphasizes in the book. That we continuously know that we presently possess eternal life. Those are the things we need to know. Now, as a concluding application here this evening, I want to stress this. What, what difference does it make to have assurance of salvation or to not have assurance of salvation? What's the big deal? Does it really make a big difference? Because you could be a, a true believer who's saved but lacks assurance, and yes, you'll go to heaven all the same. Does it make a difference to lack assurance of salvation. And I want to assure you, it really does. It makes a very big difference for your life as a Christian. So I want to emphasize again, it's not optional. Uh, scripture tells us to be diligent to make sure that we're saved. And the book of 1 John was written for that purpose. But I want to also show you the benefits of having assurance of salvation. Firstly, having assurance gives you peace. It gives you peace. If you don't know that you have peace with God, you will never have peace in your heart. I mean, what, what will you do with your guilt? You know, a guilty conscience will bring misery upon misery, and only forgiveness from God can take that guilt away. So assurance of salvation, you, you know, when you have assurance, you know that God doesn't hold anything against you when you have assurance of salvation. You know that he doesn't count your sin against you. You know that your sins have been carried away by Jesus. You know that you have peace with God. And if you know you have peace with God, how can you not be at ease? How can you not be at ease in life? What can trouble you 
when you know that God loves you and is totally on your side and regards you not as his enemy, but as his child. Assurance of salvation, it answers all your troubles. You got hardships? God's my father. He works all things for my good. You're struggling with sin? Well, God loves me and he forgives me and he will help me overcome this sin. And when I go to glory, he will totally break this sin from me. You know, First Peter, he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you have assurance of salvation and you know that he has loved you enough to send his son for you, to die for you, to have you as his child, to save you and forgive you, then you know he cares for you and you can cast all your anxieties on him. God has not given you shoulders broad enough to, to carry the burdens that you carry. And he's invited you, he's told you, cast them on me. But you will not do that unless you know that he cares for you, he loves you. And that comes from assurance of salvation. Secondly, hand in hand with peace is joy. Assurance of salvation brings you joy. And without assurance, you will not have joy. Joy is that happiness that is consistent regardless of life circumstances. It's, it's the happiness regardless of life circumstances that apart from knowing that God has saved you and forgives you, you just cannot have. You cannot have that joy. I want you to listen to what Habakkuk said. Habakkuk 3.17. He said this. Listen to what he's saying. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Hold on a second. What's he saying? Though everything is going completely awful and it looks like we're all going to die because we're going to starve to death. Though that be the case, what's he saying? Yet I will exalt in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You cannot say that if you don't know that God is the God of your salvation. Joy, regardless of circumstances, only can be there if you have assurance of salvation that you really are saved. He says, the Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. He says, no matter what, I will rejoice in the Lord, who is the God of my salvation. If you don't know that God is your Savior, despair is inevitable when life's at its hardest. But when you know that you are safely in the palm of your loving Father's hand, joy is possible no matter the difficulty of life. So assurance brings peace, it brings joy. Thirdly, it brings effectiveness in your Christian life. If you lack assurance of salvation, it's going to be very difficult for you to be effective in your work for the Lord. Our great, our great motivations to faithfulness to God and to loving him and loving our neighbor is that we know God's love for us. That's our great motivation. The more we know of God's love for us, the more we are ignited to love others. But if you don't know that God loves you, you're going to be greatly hindered in your ability to love. Not knowing that you're saved will be debilitating. But knowing God's love for you, which brings peace and joy, those are the great energizers of our Christian walk. Without peace and joy, which come from assurance, 
you're just not going to want to get out of bed in the morning. We need that joy of the Lord that energizes us into new obedience day by day. You know, someone's pointed out to me something really interesting and important from the book of Romans that lacking assurance of God's promises of salvation actually reveals a, a character flaw in us, a character issue in us. I mean, listen to this passage from Romans 5, verse 3 to 5. He says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who is given to us. So he has that chain of cause and effect, and he says character produces hope. You see that? Good character means that you will hope in God and in his word. You'll believe what he says, right? So in this case, as we discuss assurance, it means that you believe that Jesus really has accomplished salvation, and you believe that the Holy Spirit's fruit in your life actually is evidence that you're one of his people. See, God wants us to know that we have eternal life. He's not trying to hide that from us. He wants us, he wrote a whole book for that purpose. Assurance, hoping in God, believing his word, that's a mark of high character, actually. We trust what God has said. So we believe in his evidences of salvation. We believe that we can know that we have eternal life by the things that he has uh, displayed in us. 1 John was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the application is, believe that Jesus has truly accomplished salvation and believe that the fruit in your life are truly marks of the Holy Spirit that you are born again like God has said that they are. And use the book of 1 John for what it's for to get assurance. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the book of 1 John, along with the entire Bible that teaches us the way of salvation in, in Christ, that your salvation is not conditioned upon our obedience, but is rests completely on the finished work of Jesus, that there is nothing un, left undone by him, that there's nothing for us to do to secure our salvation, but it's been secured entirely by him. Eternal life is ours who believe in him. And we thank you that you have borne in our lives sure evidences, sure, sure fruits of faith, love, and obedience. We are different from what we used to be. We are different from the world because of your grace, your, your powerful changing grace. I pray that we would not deny those things, but that we would see them clearly for what they are, your work, so that we can have assurance of salvation.